This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buds, welcome champs, and what's up, Scafku27 on YouTube? It's another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Burnett, and joining me, as always, Lewis Ezekiel. Lewis, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? Having a good one, I think. Uh, it's nice to, to give a personal shout-out, although uh, if we do too many of them, take too many requests, we might have uh, super long intros and never get to any of our exciting content. We do have a ton of content to get to tonight, of course. Last week, we did start our episode with a audio clip from Thorny helping us out with our plugs. We don't have any audio clips to play tonight, so I think we'll be a little bit quicker to get to the content. On today's show, of course, we are going to be talking about the trade that has shaken the NHL and the fantasy hockey world. We're talking about Taylor Hall going to the Coyotes. Uh, We are going to start the show up top by talking about the fantasy implications for New Jersey. And then actually what we are going to do at the end of the show, I am going to reconnect with host of Keeping Carlson, Elon. And we are going to chat about what we saw on Arizona's game tonight, Tuesday evening. They play the late night game. Lewis and I are taking the early shift and I will be sticking around for the late shift. So... Lewis, why don't we get right into that content as you teased earlier? Let's talk about Taylor Hall to the Coyotes. Just off the top, Lewis, what was your thoughts on the trade package itself? Yeah, it seemed like uh, Arizona didn't give up too much in the long term. Uh, It seems like they uh, got a pretty decent price for a guy who could really help them. It seems like they are likely to make the playoffs even without Hall. Uh, and adding some scoring depth on a team that desperately needs it, adding some excitement in the desert. Uh, I think it seems like a great deal overall that didn't cost them all that much. It'll be interesting to see, of course, where he ends up signing over the summer. Um, But, you know, we saw with Eric Carlson where he kind of went for a year uh, to the Sharks, seemed to like it, signed a deal to stay. Uh, Could happen with Taylor Hall, too. The anti-Kawhi, if you will. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think any team fighting in the Pacific right now has a great chance to make some noise in the playoffs. Arizona obviously currently leading the division with a game in hand over Edmonton and Vegas right behind them. Vegas playing right now as well. So we'll see how that shakes out by the time your ears are listening to this. But yeah, very excited about the prospect of Taylor Hall in Arizona. Uh, I agree with you. They did not give up nearly enough from what I would have expected to land a very recent MVP. Right now, let's talk about New Jersey. We've already luckily seen a few games worth of lines from New Jersey without Hall. Things have been not pretty so far. So with a slumping Hall, even on the roster, the Devils were about a league average team on the power play, and they were an abysmal 28th in the 29th, sorry, in the league in goals four per 60 at even strength. 
So I, it's tough to see why things would get tremendously better from here on out. So right now, they are running a top nine of Jesper Brat, Heeshear, and Palmieri, second line of Coleman, Zajac, and Gusev, and a third line of Pavel Zaka, Hughes, and Wayne Simmons. What I'd like to do, Lewis, is talk about the fantasy-relevant players on the Devils and see... What sort of point paces we might expect from them rest of season, both in a realistic sense and in upside sense. We're going to start with the two centers who we thought might battle to center the Taylor Hall line coming into the season. That's Nico Hishier and Jack Hughes. Tough, tough break for Jack Hughes owner is the first thought that I had when, especially in a one year, but I mean, it's not great in a keeper either. He's the first player who it occurred to me like, probably some people who had high, high hopes are feeling low about this trade. Yeah, that third line having Hughes between Zaka and Simmons, you know, obviously we're going to see how all this plays out, um, and these are not static, but that is quite a disappointing position, I think, for Hughes to find himself in. He's next to Simmons, who has been something of a disappointment. Uh, You know, that's really the name of the game for the Devils this season. There was so much hype and so much optimism in the offseason to see it all kind of come to a close this way, where it looks like they might be battling Ottawa and Detroit in the basement for uh, access to that number one pick seems like uh, quite the disappointment uh, for for what the Devils are hoping for. Um, Another one who kind of stands out to me is uh, Kyle Palmieri, who is someone who's been so reliable. We talked him up in the offseason as someone who, you know, people often overlook, but he's such a quality grab so frequently uh, on that top line. But that top line is Hishier, Bratt, and Palmieri. Uh, I think it might be difficult uh, to produce there, as it has been all season long. It's only going to get a little harder when you don't have that extra flash and sizzle from a player like Taylor Hall. Yeah, I actually think of the top three there, the forwards, Heeshear, Hughes, and Palmieri, I think Palmieri is the fella I'm least worried about. This is kind of why he's so valuable, especially in multi-category leagues. He offers such a good floor in so many peripheral categories. He hits, he shoots, and he piles on power play goals. He's always been the shooter on the power play in New Jersey. That's sort of led up a little bit this year, but I would think that Taylor Hall leaving probably opens up some doors for him on the man advantage yeah i think certainly there's going to be an opportunity for other players to step up and take in those spots the question is how productive are they going to be having lost what was probably their best offensive weapon so it's it's a little bit of six one half dozen another in my opinion just because yes there will be more opportunities for players to rise up the the line uh brat coleman uh come to mind in that regard But what are they losing in terms of not only having uh, that kind of talent out there on the first line and on the power play, but also other teams not having to worry about playing their matchups necessarily uh, to try to box in the Hall line. Uh, Just sort of something to keep in mind and keep an eye on. Yeah, Jesper Brat, definitely an interesting name for me. I was kind of interested in him in the preseason because he seemed like the obvious sixth member of a top six that would have included Hall, Heeshear, Hughes, Palmieri, and Gusev for me. Uh, This is his first chance really getting back into that top line. So I'm throwing Brat on some watch lists, but the players who I do have and the players who people that are listening to this likely have on their rosters, the Heeshear, the Hughes, the Palmieri. Let's talk about their season-long upside here. A player like Heeshear, for me, 
really caps off here, I think, at a 60-point pace now. I think that this was looked at as a, a nice breakout year for Nico Hishier by a lot of us. We talked about in the preseason he how lowly he was being drafted, and he was even going after Jack Hughes, which I know you and I had talked about as being uh, a huge mistake of general managers in the draft. But Nico Hishier definitely capped for me at 60. I wouldn't be shocked to see him run at a 50-point pace, though, rest of the year with a 60-point ceiling. Does that sound within your realm of expectations, or is that a little bit too high or low? No, I think that's about spot on. I thought you were going to end up a little more optimistic than me, but um, I would guess, you know, just, uh, you know, I'm taking kind of a dim view of the offensive abilities of in New Jersey right now. Yeah, I have I have Heeshire capping out at 55 and most likely to continue at about a 50-point pace. I think, yeah, so I would say I'm a little bit more optimistic. I could see the power play maybe finds a groove in some way, Gusev, on the on the off wing can pot more goals and keep the power play relevant i could see how he sheer would run at about a 60 point pace what about a guy like jack hughes in his rookie year currently on the third line i think it would be foolish to think that that won't bounce around over the next 50 games or whatever's left but definitely someone who the shine has worn off from this preseason yeah i don't see you know i look at i look at that third line with Hughes and I wonder maybe why not let him go out there and and eat up as much time as he can and and get acclimated I know you don't want to have uh young players play in you know a losing environment where potentially it could damage their morale or damage their development but there's not a whole lot to play for in New Jersey why not cut Hughes loose and see what he can do give him maybe a little more freedom than he's gotten from the coaches I don't know it'll be interesting to see how it all works out uh, I would have Hughes. I, I like Heeshear to continue to be a little more successful than Hughes. I would have Hughes uh, between the 45 and 50 point pace with a 55 point ceiling. Um, but I would say much more likely to be between the 45 and 50 range. So that's interesting. I'm a little bit lower on Hughes than you then. I do think optimally you would have him in Zajac's spot. I just don't know why you're playing him between Zaka, a guy who has no offensive upside, and Simmons, a guy who's going to crash the net and be a bit of a garbage goal scorer. You know, he can put up 50 points, but they're not going to be a pretty 50. Whereas Jack Hughes, you kind of want him on a creative in a creative space where he can make, you know, plays to shooters. Like I would I th- I would think that Gusev or Palmieri should be riding alongside with Jack Hughes. So if he were in that second line spot for the rest of the season, you told me, yep, 45 games of Hughes in second line deployment, I would probably say, sure, 50 points. As it is, I do think he will bounce around quite a bit. So I think it's more likely that he's a 40 to 45 point guy. I think 40 is probably the floor and 50 is probably the ceiling unless something drastic were to change, like I said. Yeah, um, I I think that makes a lot of sense. You make a very compelling argument. Let's look at uh, the two right-wingers then. Let's talk about Kyle Palmieri and Nikita Gusev. Obviously, we've talked about Palmieri a little bit, so maybe let's get into him quickly first. What do you think he can do now, lacking a superstar like Taylor Hall? Uh, so, uh, Palmieri, as you said, is a little bit different because he has that kind of solid floor, and he has been productive uh, for New Jersey in the past when they had limited star power, like when he was lining up with Camilleri or some of these other guys. <laughs> um, you know, I, of course, he's a Michigan guy, so he always sticks in my mind. Um, 
I think that he could be a 55-point guy moving forward, uh, especially if he can hopefully develop some chemistry with Hishu there, you know, talking about someone who he can set up as a trigger man, like what Hughes is sort of lacking on that third line. I think Hishu and Palmieri are the best chance for New Jersey to develop some effective top-line chemistry and offensive uh, proficiency. I agree, and I think that that is something that we could see moving forward is Palmieri with either of these centers should be able to form a reasonable forward top line, you know, like maybe a New York Islanders-esque ceiling for them. You know, you're not going to see superstar point-per-game numbers, but you are going to see a very decent performance from these guys. You know, at least from a in a deep league, they will remain rosterable. Those are kind of yeah, the two I- that I'm looking at in that in that tier. Yeah, I think fantasy relevance is what you're hoping for from mm-hmm. your Nico Heeshear and your Kyle Palmieri, and then maybe you're looking to stream some of these guys in, maybe if Gusev can catch fire for a little bit. But if he wasn't doing it with the talent that was on the roster before, outside of getting some additional opportunity, maybe, uh, it's going to be hard for Gusev to be more successful than he was before Hall's departure. Well, for sure. And so when it comes to Palmieri, I think that I see him as having still, I think he has a 60 point ceiling. Maybe call me a hopeless romantic because everyone knows how much I love Palmieri. But I do think that that is where he kind of tops out still. And then I think probably a more reasonable expectation is in that 50 to 55 point range. I do think it is also possible that we just see the absolute floor fall out of this New Jersey team as they sort of resign themselves to the fact that it's a lost season and the brass gave up on them 30 games in. So I I could also see, as with the rest of these guys, him finishing at a 40 to 45 point pace. That's kind of where I see Nikita Gusev right now he though to me and this is kind of the hot take that i may have out of all of this this could be the best for gusev just in the sense of they now need to run a offensive player if they want to be competitive whatsoever gusev has shown he's not a shutdown defensive player in the nhl at least not yet what if they just run gusev on pure offensive minutes and put him on a line with he and palmary they stack that line couldn't you see Gusev like going on a 60 to 65 point pace? This is like pie in the sky, like obviously not the most likely scenario. But if you're trying to imagine a scenario for one of these guys to become fantasy relevant, isn't he kind of still the guy? I know that I feel like I'm, you know, smacking a dead horse here, like Nikita Gusev still fantasy relevant. But isn't he the guy that could do it if anyone could? Yeah, um, you know, I worry that you might be, you know, that person after uh, the the victim has long expired who is still pumping their chest and hoping for signs of life. Uh, I actually do like the idea of Gusev streaking down the ice, like, on a hot route every time uh, New Jersey gains possession of the puck. I think that does create a pretty interesting idea. Of these remaining players, I think he's by far the most widely variant player. We know he has talent. You know, this is a guy who led the KHL in scoring. Um, but, you know, obviously his floor is quite low as well because we've seen him, uh, on some really, really grim paces so far this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm almost hesitant to, to make a prediction for him at all, just because, you know, if I was, if it was the, uh, off season keeping Carlson Almanac, this would for sure be my, my variance pick, uh, just because it seems so hard to nail down what Nikita Gusev could do 
when the roster was at its peak capacity, uh, and now with the changes, I'm, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things go moving forward. I, I'm a little cynical about him. I might have him around that 45-point range for the remainder of the season. I think that that's the most likely scenario. But I just, I, you can't hate me for being a dreamer, can you, Lewis? No, certainly not. I think it would be really interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward here. I'm just not super hopeful we're going to see anything all that exciting. I, I'm, I'm, uh, what is it? What's the saying? Once bitten, twice shy. I got Absolutely. got by Gusev in the off season, uh, and now I'm very nervous about anything positive for him moving forward. Take this with a grain of salt, of course, but if this could be great for anyone, it would be great for Nikita Gusev. Uh, we'll move to the back end in in New Jersey, where we have somehow the most unexpected defensive rivalry of all time between David, Damon Severson and P.K. Subban. Any fantasy relevance on the back end now that the Devils lost their only superstar? I think we are reaching uh, about our maximum amount of acceptable Devils talk on our podcast, so I'm going to say, nope, I am not interested in Severson or Subban. Put a bow on it. Not interested. (laughs) I will say a little bit more, but I I appreciate that. Uh, Damon Severson, for sure, somebody who, while he's on the top unit, you can stream in and out in a bangers league. He has much more appeal. I don't think he's going to be a... Tory Krug or a Keith Yandel ever, but I do think he could be like an Alex Petrangelo when he hits a hot streak sort of thing where he puts up, you know, a 50, 55 point pace every once in a while and then he goes super cold. You just don't want to have the longest leash and drag him along for 10, 15 games of coldness. PK Subban, I think that's the trying to bring him back to life character on the New Jersey Devils. I'm not buying until I see him on a top power play unit, at which point I'm adding him speculatively anywhere I can. But yeah, I'd say most likely scenario, 40 to 45 points for Damon Severson and about a 35-point pace for Subban. I wish him all the best in their quest to capture even that degree of fantasy relevance. There you go. We have a few more outreaches to get to before we move into our final segment here. We're going to start with Travis Konechny. Konechny back in Philadelphia, and they right away put him on a top line with Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier. If that's not a full power top line in Philly, I'm not sure what is. They did combine for some points tonight. You'll love to see it. Any change in the forecast for these players, do you think, Lewis? Well, uh, the only thing to look out for, like, obviously they got right back into the groove against Anaheim. Uh, we saw Konechny contribute to one of Giroux's goals, uh, so that's obviously great to see. I think the one thing that we just have to keep in mind is that concussions are cumulative. So while we aren't necessarily worried about Konechny in the short term, I do worry for him in the long term. Uh, a lot of attention over the weekend paid to... Uh, the story from Tim Thomas about his efforts dealing with concussions during his career. Uh, you know, it just makes me a little nervous for those players like, say, uh, an Andre Kasha or a Travis Konechny uh, who have, you know, encountered these kind of injuries before in the past. We wish all the best to them, obviously. You're just always worried about the possibility of that next head injury Um, potentially being one that takes a player out of their game uh, in a very significant way. So really glad to see TK back in an action. 
Uh, it doesn't change my outlook for him in terms of what I think he can do. I think it's great for anybody who was able to put him back on his roster. If anyone was crazy enough to drop him, go and pick him up. Uh, just hoping that he can avoid any further complications for the rest of the season. Totally. I do think, like, of course, the concussion problem is very real in the NHL, and we need to be very sensitive to the fact that head injuries are, you know, inexplicable in a lot of ways. We don't understand the way that our body reacts to head trauma, and so, therefore, these recoveries aren't linear. I will say, though, I'm not sure that I'm more worried about Travis Konechny than I am worried about, you know, the average NHLer. Like, a player like Andre Kasha, that's someone who, you know, when I heard about the most recent concussion, it was it shook me up. I was very, very worried for him. Hopefully, we don't get to that point where we just see it over and over and over again. Exactly. Great to have him back. Uh, a guy who can certainly score uh, at a 60-65 pace uh, and... Really exciting to have him on that top line in Philly. Yeah, I mean, right now, so currently over 82 games, Konechny pacing for, it was 72 before this game, but then he went out and got himself some more pointage. Do you think he has a shot at that 70 points, that 70 point plateau that he's been hitting so far this season? Yeah, I think we'd like to see that group stick together. And if they can continue to develop their chemistry, I could see TK in that 70 point range. Yeah, it it feels a little hot for me, um, but, you know, upgrading from Morgan Frost at the pivot to Sean Couturier is huge. And so even if the 77-point pace felt a little unsustainable, we saw some high shooting percentages from Konechny earlier in the season, but I don't really see any reason to downgrade him after he got such an upgrade at center. So, yeah, as long as that top unit is together, I could see huge things for Konechny in the short term. Now we're going to head over to Columbus, Lewis, where Zach Wierenski is back. We hadn't seen him since November 30th, but at that time he was manning the point on the top power play. Now he and Jones appear to be splitting duty between a 1A, 1B power play unit. Uh, Wierenski is playing with PLD, Felino, Bjorkstrand, and Jenner. At this point, I'm kind of curious. We have Wierenski back. Obviously, Jones is still in the lineup. Who do you prefer, Wierenski or Jones at this point? Well, I love the chance to get to talk about another Michigan player in Wierenski. Uh, Ultimately, though, I'm going to have to say I would prefer Jones uh, just because I think that we can be more confident that he's going to continue to gather that top power play time. Uh, Obviously, you're talking about it being kind of a split right now, but I think if it were to move away from a split, the likely outcome uh, might be Jones ending up on that top line. But this is John Tortorella we're talking about, so we don't want to make too many predictions. Certainly don't carve those predictions in stone. Uh, it's worth pointing out that Jones was the one picking up two assists tonight. Uh, so at least from our very limited sample size since Wierenski's return, Jones has been the more successful defender. I do agree that I would prefer Jones of the two in most leagues, though I'm not really sure that it's because I think he's more likely to be top power play. I think in Columbus, I don't really know why we would see the move away from the split units. Uh, I don't think that we're heading towards an overpowered top unit, just the way that, as you mentioned, Tortorella has been playing the power play so far i think the most likely scenario is it sticks this way and given that i do think i like zach Wierenski a little bit better in points only leagues but in any leagues that count peripherals i think seth jones is clearly the better option just because that floor is so so high sure um and you know as you say dealing with the the power play issues i do kind of like that Wierenski power play a little better just because uh 
Pierre-Luc Dubois has a, a very high ceiling, and we're seeing Oliver Bjorkstrand come on quite strongly. Uh, that could be a, quite a strong uh, power play to get to work with if they keep the current assignments. Lewis, speaking of Columbus, I know that you have a new favorite player in the uh, blue, white, and red. Is that a thing people say about the Blue Jackets? So why don't you tell us about a player who is now catching absolute fire? All right. So listen, as a Michigan man, it's hard for me to say nice things about Columbus uh, other than commenting on the taste of Ohio State football cleats every November. Um, But there is a really interesting riser on the Blue Jackets that I think is going to be worth an ad. Uh, His Yahoo ownership level is outrageously low. I can't imagine it's going to stay there for much longer. We're talking, of course, about Oliver Bjorkstrand. 12% owned in Yahoo, 94% owned in Kukupful. The Kukupful people know what is up with Bjorkstrand. I tried to uh, lure him out from his owner, Brian Kahn, but he wasn't having any of it. Bjorkstrand had a horrible start to 2019-20. He just had six points in his first 19 games, um, but he's really been on the rebound lately. Uh, Before Tuesday night's game, he had 12 points in the last 14 games. I believe he had a goal and an assist uh, in Tuesday night's game against the Red Wings. Uh, So really making some excellent progress. Uh, The underlying number difference between these two parts of the season is stark. Bjorkstrand went from a 40% power play time on ice percentage to 60%. He's increased his ice time in this second half rush by about two minutes per game. And he's shooting more confidently. 2.74 shots per game in the first 19 is nothing to scoff at. Um, But before tonight's match... Uh, He's shot 4.14 shots per game in the last 14. That is a delightful number to have, especially if you're in a league that counts shots. Um, So Bjorkstrand, before Tuesday night's game, was on pace for just 44 total points. But there is a lot of room to improve there, and we're already seeing it take place. His even-strength IPP is the worst of his career by about 5 points. He's more than 10 uh, percentage points of IPP behind last year's pace. He was at uh, nine goals on 9.9 individual expected goals, so a little bit behind there, and shooting a couple points behind his career average and 6% behind what he accomplished last year in terms of individual shooting percentage. All this, despite the fact that he is pacing for 87 high-danger chances, 30 more than what he was able to create last year in 77 games. Finally, he is enduring the lowest on-ice shooting percentage of his career. What these numbers say to me is that he is totally capable of improving his pace. I could see him definitely being at a 60-65 point pace for the rest of the season. If you can drop a 50-point guy to grab him or buy him low at his current pace, although again, tonight's success might make it a challenge, give this a shot. Your window might be closing on your chance to grab this guy to really shore up uh, the middle of your roster. Where do you see Bjorkstrand pacing for the remainder of the season uh, if he continues to get this level of deployment? Yeah, the deployment is the key. In Columbus, nothing is guaranteed. I think 60 points is a reasonable pace to expect. And then Obviously, if we can continue to see some sunshine and rainbows, I could see a little bit higher. I think it's most likely that we see 55 to 60, though. Okay, so 55 to 60 versus 60 to 65. I think it'll be interesting to see how he goes for the remainder of the season. Obviously, he is en fuego right now, so if he can get a few more games where he's scoring a couple points a game, that'll certainly help him boost towards my side of the ledger. 
All right, Lewis, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I am now jumping into the future to hang out with the one, the only, Elon Dabrowski. Elon, welcome for the first time to the Keeping Carlson Short Shift. How are you doing tonight? What's up, champ? Doing good. (laughs) What an elite level intro you just laid on us. Yeah, I mean, it's one o'clock here, but I felt for a special night like this, the first night of Taylor Hall joining the Coyotes. I thought we might as well just come in here, break down the first game. And uh, Hall got an assist, so good start for him on the Coyotes. Yeah, absolutely. So the Coyotes just beat the Sharks 3-2 moments ago. The game ended, as Elon mentioned, Taylor Hall in his first game with the uh, assist. Elon, what did we see? What did you see when you were watching this game? Well, as someone who went big on Christian Dvorak today, I was mainly watching him. Of course, like the lines came out earlier today. We were going to have Hall Kessel, Dvorak, and then Dvorak ended up also being on the top power play. So in those deeper leagues, to be able to get someone that's going to get exposure to Hall at even strength and on the power play, I was super excited to grab him. And then I was like watching this game. And then that play right near the end of the game, Hall fought for it, got it behind the net, passed it in front to uh, Oliver ekman Larson. He took a shot. It looked like it bounced off something. I thought maybe it was Dvorak, but no, it was just some... I don't even know what it was. But anyways, it was OEL got the goal. No points for Dvorak. But I will say, Ben, I'm still big on Christian Dvorak right now. I would recommend people add him if he's going to hold this deployment. And why wouldn't he? The Coyotes won. Yeah, disappointing to see him not put any pucks on net. I do think that probably Taylor Hall is going to be the shooter on that line. But top line, top power play on a team that ostensibly should be able to produce goals. I'm big on Christian Dvorak all of a sudden as well. Yeah, and I guess there's also Phil Kessel, you would hope gets a bump with this, you know, acquisition of Taylor Hall. Not a really exciting game for him. Only one shot. Like Kessel used to be a guy that shot a lot, but he's gone down this year and now so what is he at? Nineteen points in thirty five games. It's just been a terrible season for Phil Kessel. Hopefully this helps him turn it around. Would it be a hot take to say that maybe in some formats I'd rather have Christian Dvorak at this point? Like I'm in one league that counts face offs and Dvorak has that left wing eligibility, so he's super valuable there and both were actually in free agency recently and i grabbed dvorak i could have had kessel yeah wow okay so in a face-off win league then for sure i would understand it i think in any other league you would have to take kessel's upside though right yeah yeah i know this would be too crazy to say dvorak but kessel the thing is also oliver ekman larson who scored a goal today a lot of people as soon as the trade happened were saying oh should i rush now to grab oliver ekman larson is now the time that he's going to turn it around and it's like i want to say yes but also i feel like we've been bitten by this before like when phil kessel arrived in the summer we thought okay this is what oliver ekman larson is going to need to turn things around and then it's been like his worst season kessel's mm-hmm. worst season so i don't want to get like too excited again you know once bitten twice yes. shy you're the uh, Second person to say that tonight. Oh, that phrase? Yes. Lewis said that earlier. Uh, Well, he's a smart guy. But about Oliver Ekman Larson? No, actually, he said it about Nikita Gusev. Ooh. Okay. Well, Nikita Gusev is, you know, uh, it's funny. Like, I haven't listened to Short Shifts yet. You know what you guys talked about? What what did you guys say about Nikita Gusev? Is he, I I can't imagine it's good for him, right? But he wasn't playing with Hall, anyways. He was on the power play. I love this because right before we started, Elon, you're like, we're going to go for like four minutes, right? And now you're like, what did you say about Gusev? Okay, fine. I'll just listen tomorrow on my way to work. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I, I just said, my hot take is that. If anyone ends up with a primo offensive deployment as a result of this, I could see it being Nikita Gusev. And therefore, I could see a situation in which, you know, top line, top power play, he becomes the guy in New Jersey. I'm not saying I think it's necessarily the case, but it would be an interesting turn of events. And it's sort of like I could see a path to it, I guess. 
Yeah, well, he's supposed to be a supremely offensive player. That's how he yeah. led the KHL in scoring. He had defensive troubles, but maybe now if New Jersey has no choice but to give him some more ice time just for the lack of better options, then yeah, maybe he'll get the chance to strut his stuff. I almost feel like in a lot of leagues, the only devil worth owning right now might be Blake Coleman because he's good in a bangers league. Like, mm-hmm. But uh, Palmieri, Hishir, Hughes, and even Gusev, I don't know, not, not too exciting at the moment. Vatanen especially if your league counts plus minus, but that's, that was already the case before. Okay. Let's go back to Arizona. Yes, I agree. Close this out. I'm going to say a smart hockey thing. Okay. I'm going to try to say a smart hockey thing here. I think that this is actually really good news for the people not playing with Taylor Hall, like Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz. I agree. Who played together on a line with Soderbergh today. Yeah. So you're probably thinking the same thing because now the strongest lines of other teams are going to play against the Hall line probably. And that really is going to open up Clayton Keller. So if you're like a Keller owner or a Schmaltz owner and you're thinking that you're bummed because they're not getting the exposure to Hall right now, it might still be good. And hey, it worked out in today's game. I believe who, who got these points today? Step and scored, yeah. Yeah, Stefan scored. So I think this is the Coyotes are going to be really good now, right? Like, I think they're a strong contender. I guess it's obviously like everyone's going to say that after a trade, but they were already so good at winning games without scoring goals. And now if they're going to be able to score a few more goals, like, I don't know. Who knows? I agree with your point about the second line. The other thing that I like about it is previously it felt like the Coyotes really had to stretch and spread their talent thin. And I think that establishing this anchor forward on the top line really allows them to establish those lines and let people, you know, stick together. So uh, I don't see why they wouldn't stick Schmaltz and Keller together on the second line. I would think that Derek Stepan is a better fit there. And then you leave Soderberg for a defensive line matchup, maybe pair him with Michael Grabner. But just in general, I think that, yeah, Schmaltz and Keller, I like them a little bit more. I can see both of them sticking at that 55, 60 point, like, decent play position is that too low for you or are you thinking uh are you thinking about the same no i mean that sounds good i'm not gonna go crazy like clayton keller did you say keller at 50 points i said keller and schmaltz at around 55 60 yeah i mean keller has upside for more for sure like right now he's on a 55 point pace but that's including a terrible start and he was hot before hall arrived so i feel like keller could go on like a 65 maybe even 70 point pace for the rest of the season if you want to really be optimistic but for schmaltz that sounds right maybe the main player hurt here if we want to get into really deep leagues probably connor garland Mm -hmm. because he once in a while was getting shots on the top line with kessel or playing with devark or at least getting decent minutes but now he's you know bumped down today he was playing with grabner and richardson on the fourth line and i don't really see an open spot for garland right now unless something really weird happens yes 100 percent. let's talk about the top line though uh we now have reason to be somewhat optimistic about phil kessel when uh, like three days ago uh in the keeping carlson patron only facebook group we had a patron trade anthony duclair for phil kessel and everyone thought that they lost the trade are you ready to take that back do you think that kessel is more interesting than duclair now <laughs> no no wow hey i mean look at today duclair scored a goal this would brian would be so mad at me for just bringing up like a one game (laughs) duclair scored three shots what did kessel do like you know if hall's gonna be the main shooter on the line like kessel i could even see kessel being bumped from that line before uh dvorak to be honest like i guess we'll have to wait and see what happens i don't obviously it's easy just you don't think so you think well wait do you think the line's gonna stick all season with no changes no i think that it's more likely dvorak gets bumped down 
Yeah. You're right, of course. Like, who knows? Rick Tockett will do what he wants, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's going to be a smart decision. But uh, I really like uh, Duclair right now. Like, I see him as a guy who's potentially going to score, like, 35, 40 goals by the time the season's out. Like, he's doing fantastically. It's really cool to see him do it when he's not even playing with Brady Kachuk. That's what we talked about on the last episode. Maybe we should stop talking about who's playing with Kachuk, start talking about who's playing with Duclair. Uh yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like it would be an old school way of thinking to just be like now, you know, it's almost like you're itching to just say, because you feel it in your gut that Kessel should be better than Duclair. So you're just looking for a reason and now you've got your reason, but it might not be the case. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Well, I would agree with Brian that it is way too soon to draw a conclusion on Phil Kessel not getting a point in his first game with Taylor Hall. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Remember that short shifts episode after the Devils fired their coach and then you guys talked about maybe this will be a chance for PK Subban. You know, it's like sometimes I just wonder if people are just like reaching for reasons for yes. with these guys and well, and we'll we'll see like also remember on the penguins when phil kessel was bumped to the third line sometimes mm-hmm. so i don't know i, I want to see uh kessel produce before i get too excited about him and duclair's producing all the time and so right now i would still take duclair but yeah kessel probably has more upside based on his career history uh, and now he's in this like great spot uh so we'll see it'll be very interesting this is going to be a really fun team to watch moving forward Well, and with Kessel, I mean, he was a point per game one year ago, so it's a lot easier to imagine. Um, I think the player that I agree to not get your hopes too high with would be OEL, somebody who I think Brian, this is like the take that is most entrenched in my mind as Brian being correct about, which is OEL as a ceiling of 50 points. I don't really see a reason to upgrade him beyond that. Uh, I think he could be in the 45 to 50 point range if things go really well for them on the power play moving forward. Such a slow pace to start the season that I, I would be shocked to see him hit 45, but yeah, that's the player that I'm not getting my hopes too high for in the desert. Yeah, like there have been times earlier in the season when Jacob Chikrin took over on the top power play, so it could happen again. Exactly. And regardless, we'll see. Uh, it's it's yeah. I don't really know. I just don't want to get too excited about anybody because then you'll end up looking bad later. Like you don't, I think, <laughs> want to just assume that one player arrives and all of a sudden all these people's seasons like completely turn around. Agreed. I don't recall that happening uh, in the past. Maybe if someone has an example, like tweeted us at Keeping Carlson or or at AVG Time on Ice, a, a player where some other player arrived on the team mid season and then that play, the other player that was on the team the whole time who was having a badger completely flipped it uh you know like there should be some improvements but i don't know if i would go too far i actually i could think of like the opposite example where like on the sends last year when some players were doing pretty well until stone and duchene left and then you know their seasons really started to tank like kachuk and even thomas shabbat Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know i don't have one off the top of my head do you have one no i definitely don't uh i do want to ask you though while i still have you one more question for you taylor hall point pace rest of season any guesses i just i want to know it's so funny like we've just had this whole conversation about the impact of taylor hall without actually talking about him just because i have (laughs) a lot of faith in him he's on a 69 point pace now uh i don't know if that's including today's game i'm just looking at frozen pools i believe it is Uh, i i would say like point per game is that too crazy to say uh, a point every game for taylor hall a couple multi-point games a couple no point games mm-hmm. and it'll average around 80 point pace moving forward i think that that's perfectly reasonable i definitely think people hoped for more when they drafted him but i also think that the the expectations for the devils wound up being proven wrong and you know i don't think that anyone thinks that this arizona team is going to be as high powered as we had hoped that the devils would be before we saw what this season turned into. 
yeah, I mean, Taylor Hall, to be fair, he had that 193-point season. And then last year, he was on an amazing pace. He was on a 92-point pace, but through only 33 games. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, he's never even... Oh, he did hit 80 once back in 2013-14. Mm-hmm. But it's even that, you know? So it's like, I don't know if we want to just assume now he's a 95-plus point guy because of one amazing season on the Devils. And Arizona, I don't think it's like a terrible destination for him. But also, they don't win games by blowing out other teams. Like, they play a tight game. And I don't see why they would change that just because they got Hall. So... I think, yeah, be happy to get a point per game from him. And if you know someone in your league that's expecting more, then, yeah, make a trade. If someone wants to trade, like, Pasternak or someone for Hall, then go for it. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. But, yeah, no one would do that. No. Probably not. Is there a more reasonable uh, mm. pick? Jake Gensel? Would you do Gensel for Hall? I think I would prefer... Oh, that's so tough. Because in a bangers league, I think you have to go Gensel, right? Yeah, but how about just straight up points? Like, Gensel's... The th- yeah, this has been so good. Like he, uh, I think he got points again today. Oh, no, I don't he think he did. Brian no. Rust, yeah. Rust did. Well, I assume when Rust and Malkin get points, and obviously Gensel will as well. But yeah, Gensel thirty six points in thirty four games now. Unbelievable. Uh, that's a yeah. He's great, and Crosby's going to come back. Uh, even though I don't know if things could get any better for Gensel. I agree. Anyway, now we're really getting off track. Yeah, here. This is supposed <laughs> to be like a five minute thing. It's going to be the longest short shifts episode. It now. is for sure going to be the longest short shifts episode, and. I think I would stick with Gensel just because uh, why would you not, given how good he's been so far this year? All right. There you go. So trade Hall for Gensel. You've heard it here first. All right, Elon, thank you so much for coming on. From Lewis and I, thank you to Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Natural Statric, Corsica Hockey, Fantrax, Yahoo, Marcus Kalanins, Cacupful Stats, ChartingHockey.ca, and more. Folks, play smart. Keep those shifts short. Bye.